From the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here's your host, Rocky LaFleur. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Also starring Josh Webb, Jake LaTondras, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me on the other end of the line, man that needs no introduction, Double R, Ramsey Russell. Rocky, Ramsey, how are you, sir? Have you actually been at home for one week? Yeah, at least. Man, I'm enjoying it, too. I'm ready to get back on the road. <laughs> I'm ready to get on the road. It's duck season somewhere, and I'm ready. I'm ready to roll. I'm rested up. My clothes are clean. My wife's getting tired of me. So I'm I'm ready to get on the road again. You, does does winter time like when you were younger? The onset of of fall and winter's coming, and the excitement of duck season is about to open. Which one do you get more excited at for now? Is it this time of the year here in North America, or is it about when you're about to head out to South America in the spring and summer? Nah, it's all the same, Rocky. I swear it's all the same. I just I take each each as it comes, and I don't I don't really differentiate between that. You know, I, I do get a little uh, nostalgic. Uh, the last few days, not today, but the last couple of days down here in Brandon were were real clear. You know, the, the, the leaves are starting to change. It's real clear. The humidity was real dry. And you know what it reminded me of? Uh, it's about this time of year that Duncan and I, when he was a, a, a young man, he and I would go to Willowbrake. For two or three days, we'd do, we'd do a three, three or four-day weekend, and we'd go to Willowbrake, and we'd squirrel hunt. And I had squirrel hunting since I was about his age, really, until he wanted to start doing this. And we would go squirrel hunting. He, we'd, we'd park, the, park the ranger, and he'd go his way, and I'd go mine, and I'd hear his little old shooting going on in the distance. He'd hear mine. And then we'd loop back around and meet meet sometime there back at the ranger. We'd have our squirrels, and we'd go skin them, and, and that's a mess. Why? I don't know. That's a lot of work, skin a squirrel for little nothing but we go scan our squirrel and clean them up real good and he could i tell you what that boy could clean a squirrel now wouldn't be a hair on it and then we'd make our annual squirrel dumplings and and uh that wasn't too terribly long ago but but the last couple of days just really made me think about that you know and and i, I love uh i just love that day you know when it, when it's dry like that and the leaves are changing and it's cooler you know, you walk the mailbox right breaking a sweater anywhere close to it, but it's not so cold. You got to bundle up. It's just beautiful. It's just a perfect Mississippi day. And if you're out in the woods that time of year, just, just the smell, just the smell of those fresh leaves falling. And um, that that was, I don't know, I don't know how I got to think about that, but that's where I, that's where my mind was the last few days. But you know, winter's coming and. Uh, you know, Rocket really is duck season somewhere, and man, with my schedule anymore, we're in and out, here and there, and yonder, and it's all the same. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't get real excited about Mississippi duck season coming, or Arkansas, or Missouri. I just, it's coming, and it comes, and it's here, and you know, all year long, uh, I'll sift through some stuff and get some stuff organized to where, you know, packing to go to Willowbrook or packing to go to Arkansas or packing to go somewhere, it's just it's just the same as packing to go anywhere else. You know, just just sort my gear and get my stuff together and go, and and take take it all in its own context. So I guess I guess I'm just that's kind of a boring answer. I just don't really get too terribly excited, you know, because cause all year long anymore it's duck season somewhere. 
Well, you, speaking of, it was duck season somewhere about two, three, it's been a month ago. You packed Forrest up. You and Forrest headed up to Ontario. Is that correct? Yes, we did. And, and it was, uh, we're working with Ryan Reynolds up there with our U.S. hunt list. And uh, I, I had hunted Ontario several times. We did a podcast uh, last year about hunting down in southern Ontario around Kingful. I've also been up around Mitchell's Bay. Uh, up in that area hunting before it, it's uh you know it's compared to out west the limit's a little more moderate you know the limit is uh five canada geese instead of eight canada geese like out west the duck limit's six like mississippi instead of eight like i don't know saskatchewan or alberta and um but it's a really really incredible place to go and i had not really hunted this part of Ontario, but in talking to Ryan extensively and doing my background research and everything else, you know, it, it really is a pretty phenomenal place. Like uh, a lot of the geese that come through that area, it's a it's a natural funnel. Okay, you've got you've got the St. Lawrence River, kind of runs up there to the to the Arctic, and you've got the Ottawa River, and 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 you've got this land in between them. And it's a fertile river valley of agriculture well anybody that's ever been to canada says well yeah there's a lot of agriculture out there but this is different it's different because there's a lot of corn a lot of soybeans it's just it's just a lot different than western canada there's no canola none and canola is scourge it's terrible for waterfowl there's no canola and uh it, it, it all kind of revolves around the dairy industry and so we were going Canada goose hunting there, and all of these geese, all of those geese, there's no local birds to speak of. Uh, if you go out there in the summertime, unlike Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, driving around, you see those local local breeding pairs and their and their their offspring. You don't see that in this part of Ontario, because it, it, all those birds are, are migrated back up to the Arctic, and these are all the birds that are coming to Delmarva, Delaware, uh, Maryland, Virginia. Parts of Pennsylvania, probably parts of uh, uh, New Jersey. Um, they're what they call the interior, so they're not the huge, ginormous. You know, I'm just making this up. Twelve, fifteen pounders. I know there ain't no fifteen pound Canada geese, but they're not them huge, big ones. But they're big Canada's. They're just not that big. And um, and and I got to tell you, it, it was. I was so glad Forrest went on this trip with me. I still like to get him out. To Western Canada because he's young and would would love to see all that. But right about time, I think I've seen it all. You know, I, no, I, I can't say that anymore. I mean, every trip I go on is something entirely different, and I'm in awe. And this was one of those experiences. You know, we were looking at at Canada goose feeds for big Canada. This, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, usually when you go out west, a big Big Canada goose feed would be three to five hundred birds. These feeds were in the thousands. Within a 35, 40 mile radius, we were seeing 5,000 geese here, 7,000 geese there, 5,000 geese over yonder. You know, we might see five or six of those feeds in just a small little area. Big Canada's. That's a big feed for big Canada's. And all three mornings were, were just unbelievable. It was just truly unbelievable, remarkable in some sense, and probably one of the most memorable things I had, you know, I was posting those little uh, Instagram photos, little video clips and stuff on our storyline. I got a lot of inboxes, and one guy asked me one time, he says, man, as much as you travel around the world, how many times do you get to see something like you posted this morning? I wrote him back, I'm 53 years old. And I ain't never seen nothing like I saw this morning because the field we were hunting was two 10-acre little squares, 20 acres. And as we drove in in the morning by the barn coming through, you couldn't really tell. You know, it's dark. We're putting out decoys and setting up the blind. You really couldn't tell the scale of how, you know, what you were in. It could have been a section field like we'd hunted the day before. 
But as it started getting light, I realized, oh, this is just a 20-acre field. You know, trees lined, oak trees, maple trees lined, you know, all around the whole, uh, the fence rows along the edge of it. And it was such a big feed. Ryan had clients coming in. It was four of four shooters. And he said, you know, what would really be good is, um, why don't we just knock them out quick? Let's just get them, and then we can probably be out of here before the main feed shows up. And, and, and you know, then I can bring some clients in here in a couple of days, and, and those geese that showed up later won't even know we were ever here. So we said, yeah, let's do that. And um, one thing I really enjoyed about all three of these days, though, is that we kind of sort of took turns shooting. It wasn't literally like one shot per volley, but at no time did you not know who shot what. It was just, it was either me, Forrest, and Ryan, or me and Forrest, or, you know, it was just boom, boom, boom. Everybody know who shot what. And I love that kind of hunting, you know. And, Rocky, we were done on Canada geese. It's like shooting time came and went. 15, 20 minutes after shooting time, we saw a pair of wood ducks fly just errantly across the field. Then we heard a goose. We climbed into the blind. Nice, comfortable panel blind all backed up into a tree row. And some geese came in and worked. And in three, maybe four volleys, but in three volleys, I was done with my five geese. It was just, it was just over that quick. And before we could, oh, oh, and they'd said there were some white birds on the thing. And so sure enough, the very first volley, that was, it was three volleys on Canada's and one volley on Snow's because lo and behold, it's very uncommon in Ontario to get light geese. Lo and behold, the first birds in that morning was about a five or six pack of white geese. And it was crazy because Ryan said, oh, those were definitely, you know, the dog was going out to get them. He goes, that's definitely greater snow, greater snows. I said, no, that was Ross geese. I know for a fact that was Ross goose I shot. And the boy to my right said, oh, I think it was just regular snow geese. And if we brought in those birds, one, but I don't know, five or six brought in, we had a greater snow goose, a Ross goose, and, and sizes in between. It was crazy. Uh, they never shoot Ross geese out there. And, and, and if we're coming in and we're looking at those and talking about those, we hear, you know, and here comes the rest of the Canada geese. And in three quick volleys, boom, 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 we're done on Canada geese. But, but before we can reorganize, go get the truck and, and, and get everything strapped up and loaded up and gone, we didn't even get out of the blind before here they come. I mean, somebody opened the gate and, and you know, uh, here comes a flock of 20, comes a flock of, of, of 50, comes a flock. You know, before we knew it, we had 1,500, 2,000 geese swarming, swarming this little bitty 10-acre field in front of us, swarming. Like, like it, it was a spectacle. Rockets like I never imagined. We were done. We were unloaded. We were sitting there just watching. And, and they just, they, they'd pass over and some would start to land and, and then more would work in and land and here comes some more and they'd work and just come right over the blind, come right out front, come right at us. And they all started settling. About 2,000 geese settled right in the decoys, right in front of us. He sent his dog. Boy, he got a good dog. He just sent his dog and said, whatever, go. And the dog just ran out there and the geese just kind of parted ways and got up and flew around. and and. We jumped out real quick, snapped a few pictures, grabbed up the decoys, loaded them up, and by the time we got out to the blacktop road, just whatever, quarter mile away, geese were already coming back in that field. I told Forrest, I said, you know, we might could have gone to another province and you could have shot three more geese. But I can tell you this, for big Canada's, you might live your whole life. Unless you come here again, you'll never see another thing like that again. You, yeah, you'll never see that again. I've never seen anything like it. These, these weren't tame birds. These weren't resident birds. These were wild Arctic Canada geese. And it was it was astounding, Rocky. It was utterly astounding. Hmm. Well, you and Ryan got back to the lodge, and y'all y'all kind of recorded a uh, Ramsey Russell worldwide. Actually, about the change in some things that have changed in Canada lately, correct? We did. You'll enjoy this podcast because we talk a lot about 
goose hunting there as compared to Western Canada. Ryan also does some work out west. And, and what the differences are about this and where these birds are coming from, he kind of really goes into depth about some of the stuff we just talked about. But Ryan is a board member. There's 10 board members of a NGO called Wildlife Habitat Canada. And they've got, I think, four or five permanent employees now. That board, he goes through who's who and what's what on that board. Uh, they're comprised of hunters and non-hunters, government folks, biologists, uh, delta waterfowl, you know, outfitter in the case of himself. And what they function as, they're, they're not a government agency. They're a non-government organization, but they work closely in association with the Canadian government to spend their duck stamp dollars. It'd be kind of like if there was a private group in the U.S. that worked in conjunction with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to direct the federal duck stamp dollars into research or habitat or whatever the case may be. And I had become aware while traveling out in Canada previously and talking to some people had become aware of some legislation coming down the pipe in Canada. Canada and the United States and Mexico, and then there's Russia and Japan, but those three especially, especially Canada and the U.S., are partners in the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. You know, these, 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 these laws and these rules, this Migratory Bird, you know, uh, laws uh, about transportation and tagging and possession and plugs and lead and steel and all this all this all these rules are not just a US thing. They're all a part of the migratory bird convention in which Canada and Mexico are partners. And I was just I think it's very interesting that citing utilization of the birds that are being killed and hunter recruitment and hunter retention that Canada has proposed pretty significant changes to parts of the Migratory Bird Treaty Act as it pertains to tagging, possession, and transportation. A lot of the topics we heard discussed in the Ryan Warden and Jeff Foles podcast. And I was just out there minding my own business in a duck flying or goose flying one morning with Ryan, and Ryan started talking about it. I said, what do you know about this? He goes, well, Wildlife Habitat Canada was, was involved with this. We, that, that's, that's, that's us. He said, matter of fact, as an outfitter, I was very instrumental in proposing some of these things. And so there towards the end of the podcast, we kind of ended in, in, in this, we talk about this legislation and uh, I'm not sure. I, my understanding that it may have been passed. I know that as recently as late September, early October, it was ending. It, the, the comment period was ending, and um, and and the only discussion was a few of the things in there about the uh, indigenous peoples, uh, some of their 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 laws pertaining to them, the first Americans they call them. Uh, There's a little bit going on, but in terms of some of the tagging and youth initiative and some of the stuff they were doing in this act it seemed it seemed to be a go and uh and i know that i know that um in upcoming weeks i'm going to regroup with ryan and several other board members um hopefully delta waterfowl hopefully environmental canada i'm going to meet with several uh of the board members and we're going to discuss uh do a worldwide podcast specific to those changes and, and the tagging requirements. And as I understand it, for example, and this is what I mean, as I understand it, when I go to Canada right now and I tag my birds and I do everything, let's say I go up there on a four-day trip. As I understand it, and I could be wrong, but as I understand it, you know, I'm allowed by law to possess three daily limits. So if I go up there for a week to hunt in Canada, I better be eating some birds, and we do. I travel up in Canada, we eat a lot of goose and duck. 
And uh, as I understand it, once those birds are processed, I, I go to my hunting camp or I go to the hunting lodge and I breast them and I skin them out and I put them in the freezer. Once those birds are frozen, then my possession limit terminates at that point. I can go up there for 20 days. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It, it does. It does. You know, uh, most duck hunters listening to this, probably, uh, if not right now, then certainly in March, they've probably got more than 18 Mississippi ducks sitting in their freezer. Of course, you know, in your in your domicile at home, the way I understand it, your wife and kids, you know, kind of transfer and everything else, you, you can have that. But but I just found I, 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 you can look it up. It was in uh, like the Canadian Gazette or something. I, I looked it up. I looked up the proposal and read it, and I found it fascinating. And I really found it interesting because we've all heard uh, about people having dumped, gone to Canada. Maybe they're outfitters. Maybe they're freelancers. Maybe they're clients. I don't know. You just hear this stuff on the internet. I've heard of people dumping birds. Go out and have a big shoot, and they dump them. That's deplorable. That's horrible. That's horrible. It gives hunting. A, it gives us all a, a black eye to a non-hunter and anti-hunter that we're out there just killing and not utilizing. This. Well, most of us like duck and goose. The locals up there, man, if you process the birds and clean them and pick them, you can give those birds away. They love them. But the whole premise of hunting is is eating what you kill. And in their proposal for this legislation, they believe that. Some of the laws, the way they were presently written, the way they were presently enforced, discouraged full utilization of that resource. I, look it up and read it. It's very, very interesting. But I hope to get these guys, I hope to revisit with Ryan and the board and, uh, and go into greater detail about those proposals and what they mean and why they thought it important to propose them and, and, and to push them being changed. I, I just think it'd be, uh, especially in light of those previous podcasts we've heard on, on End of the Line podcast, I think it'd be very, very interesting. Of course, what does it mean in terms of changes for the U.S., if anything? Are we going to change it? Oops, Are we going to do something differently? You know, I can tell you this, boy, everybody knows this, just because you can... <clears throat> If they change those tagging requirements and those laws about the way you process birds, yeah, good luck coming through U.S. Customs next year with head and wing not attached, not tagged, and bird fully processed or more birds than you can possess. I mean, I think it's going to be a while before U.S. Customs catches up and, you know, let alone uh, our our managing agency changes our law to, to but but it's going to be interesting it's just interesting times you know i, I just I, I found it fascinating but anyway it's a good podcast with ryan he's a great outfitter Forrest and i had a wonderful time hunting with him and just seeing that part of canada for, for what it is and and it was a really really good hunt a really interesting subject anybody listening that's been out to western canada i think you'll enjoy listening to the, hearing the distinction between this part of canada and Western Canada is very, very different. Well, we're just about out of time for you and I, but Ramsey, be careful. I know you're heading out this weekend, so be careful while you're on the road. It's supposed to get really, really cold. I'm sure you're probably going to run into some weather somewhere as you head north. But thank you again, buddy. I appreciate you right. getting these podcasts while you're out on the road, but let's get to that interview with Brian right now. Hello, this is Ramsey Russell, GetDucks.com, where it's duck season somewhere. And I am in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Got done this morning with the most spectacular Canada goose hunt I think I've ever been on. I've seen a lot of the little, little geese, the cacklers and things, those big flocks and mobs, snow goose-like as they are out there in western Canada. And I've hunted big Canadas from east to west, but I've never witnessed what we saw today here in the Ottawa Valley. I, I six, seven, eight thousand big Canada swarming us like a kicked beehive. I'm hunting with Ryan Reynolds, Ryan's Outdoor Services. 
a resident here in, in Ontario and a very knowledgeable guide. And Ryan, why, why, why were there that many geese? What in the heck is going on that, I mean, somebody asked me today, you know, much of you travel, how many times do you see something like that? And I go, I'm 53 years old. I've never seen anything like what I saw this morning. Yeah. Um, this part of Ontario is probably the best kept secret in Canada for waterfowling for Canada geese. Um, we don't have the specs and all that kind of stuff like the West does, but we have the Canada geese. They all come off the tundra uh, in northern Quebec. And it basically the agriculture land and the tree land bottleneck them all right here. And we are their first staging ground yeah. for the migration. And we're just lucky enough to be where the crops and the trees bottleneck to put them all in one spot. And I've been lucky enough to hunt all across Canada and all the different flyways. And I've said it for years. This is the best kept secret for Canada geese because there's nowhere else that they congregate like they do you, here. You told me that months ago. And I, I've been to Ontario uh, maybe not a half dozen times, but four or five for sure. And, oh, we shot Canada geese. Uh, boy, it was really fun down there hunting around uh, Kingsville with those Jack Minor bands. But I, I just really, truly wasn't prepared on what we've seen here. I mean, we've seen seven or eight feeds or day loafing areas with five to seven thousand birds standing on it it's pretty standard five, five to seven thousand birds in a i mean in in a field and when you're talking a field we're not talking massive fields like you see no. unless they're not square <clears throat> miles they're 50 acre fields type deal and they stand on each other's backs in the, in the in dark it. in the darkest morning we drove in we filed the tire track through the uh wheat and chicory or whatever that was planted wheat and uh winter peas I could, it could have been the middle of a section for all I could tell, but, but as it got light, I realized it was about a 10-acre field. Yeah. And I just could not freaking believe it. I couldn't, even after yesterday, yesterday was unbelievable, but I could not believe what we saw today. You know, getting in and, and shooting our limits, our five bird limits of big Canada's, plus those snows, which were which were a surprise. And uh, being out by seven thirty, seven forty-five, and then and then we hit the blacktop, watching the field start to pile back in. And and as I understand it, right now this this area is like a big funnel. It's a big fertile valley, pinched in between the Ottawa River coming out of the Arctic and the Saint Lawrence River coming out of Saint Lawrence. And so those are big migrational corridors that yep. coalesce right here. They they coalesce right here, and you've got to think. Just south of us as well as the top of Lake Ontario. So, I mean, it, it's everything. It, it's a bottleneck of waterways, and it's a bottleneck of agriculture ground that takes every bird that breeds on that northern tundra and puts them in a small area right here. And that's what gives us the big numbers that if, we have. If, if they're an official count, or in the absence of an official count, a wild ass guess of how many birds are in this valley right now what would you guess or what would you say or what do you think it'd be that's a hard question because i'd probably say a number that everybody would think that i'm out to lunch like, yeah it's it's hard to tell i mean you can drive you can drive in a 35 minute circle and i can check fields that i have leased and or permission for and you're going to see you know you don't know how many fields you're going to find and that's in a small area and you're talking eastern ontario has this migration of you know, probably a two and a half, three hour square, and it's just as covered in that entire square. So I, I'd have a hard time putting wall, a number on wall. it to be taken serious. It's a very big number. Like you're talking, I could. There, there's three different roost ponds that'll hold fifty thousand. Well, if we're, if we're looking at if we're looking at six feeds, if we're looking at six feeds that have five or six thousand apiece, that's thirty thousand geese. Yeah. Within, within, I mean, we were always heading in one direction. It's not like we went in all four cardinal directions, covering a big circle. But, but just within that one little We'd have been loop right 15, there, thirty thousand miles. Geese. Yeah, yeah, fifteen square miles. And that's what you saw. That's yes. what we saw. Yeah, that's 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 just it's utterly astounding. I, I know talking to uh, others since I've been here that are following the Instagram story, that are hunting uh, uh, over on the eastern side or over on the western side or further north. You know, they go in and set up on. Canada goose feeds that have a hundred to one hundred and fifty birds. Yeah, you don't even look at that here. Yeah, it doesn't. Even, it gets looked right over. That's a flock. Yeah, not a that's feed. a flock. Yeah, not, <laughs> not a feed. 
What uh, how many of these birds are breeding right here? I mean, if I were to drive down down the roads here uh, this summer, dear, when you know, what what are we looking at now? Are they you know? If you drive down the roads here in the summer, you would have thought that I was lying to you that we even have Canada geese. If you're not a golfer or a boater, you're not going to see geese here in the summer, and you're still not going to see big numbers of them. Everything here. I shouldn't say everything. 95% of what we have here is... Arctic breeding. Yep, migratory birds. And, and these birds are staging here right now. They are. This is their first stop. Yep. They, they come off the Arctic. They've uh, been eating native grass, whatever you eat up there in, in, the, in the Arctic. And uh, they come down here and just start getting fat yeah. on all, the, all these cereal crops. Which, for those of y'all listening, you know, when you conjure an image of Canada hunting... We all tend to think Saskatchewan or Alberta, just just section big pea fields and uh, things of that note. And if you've been up there in the last five or ten years, you've seen just wall-to-wall canola, which is the most noxious goose-repelling and duck-repelling food crop ever planted on God's earth. And when you come over here, it's not like that. I mean, it's it's small little farms, uh, 40 acres, 20-acre, 30-acre plots uh, lined with woods or or hedgerows and a little red barn in the corner and a silo uh and it, it's a really big dairy industry is that very, right very it, big. It, it's big here dairy yeah and uh and and so a lot of the crops are corn which is cut for grain to to feed the world commodity market along with the soybeans or mostly to cut his silage and feed all those cows that got to produce milk. It is, yeah. A it lot, makes a uh, huge difference. A lot of the corn's cut for silage for milk production, as well as picked for grain mix and everything like that that they need for for mixing in the feed and whatnot. So there's a very big cash crop market here as well, like you had mm-hmm. mentioned. But dairy is huge here. So we don't really have wasted agriculture. Like you take right now this year, our crops are a little bit behind. So there's still a lot of crops standing. But these geese still have access to feed because they'll go to alfalfa fields. They'll go to winter wheat fields. Um, There's not really a wasted ground of agriculture that they can't feed on here. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And and. As I understand it, like this morning we were hunting, what, a mile maybe from the St. Lawrence River? Uh, yeah, we were a couple miles from the St. Lawrence, yeah. Okay, just, just and, and then you've got it. this other major tributary. We've crossed the bridge every morning. The Rideau River. The Rideau River, yes, which sir. is not spelled like Frito-Rito. It's, it's spelled French kind of version, you know, uh, guys. So, and then you've got the, the Ottawa River not too far. And is that where these birds are roosting primarily, just big stretches of river? Big stretches of river and uh, gravel quarries. Gravel okay. quarries hold a lot of birds here. It's a, it's one of the biggest, one of the biggest roof spots actually. So I mean, really, it's just it's just the perfect environment for lots of big Canada geese. I've got I've got two major river systems for them to roost on. I've got I've got gravel pits and and lakes and stuff for them to roost on, and I've got a whole lot of hot crops that they can get fat on. A lot of endless, endless. crops. And where where do you think these birds are going from here? Uh, they they go straight down the eastern eastern shore. They end up in Chesapeake Bay. That's All right, Delmarva, yep. Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, exactly. Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Yep. Yeah. Pennsylvania. Uh, the Finger Lakes in New, New York, York are the next big stop for these birds. When they get froze out of here, the Finger Lakes are the next big stop. When the Finger Lakes freeze, it pushes everything on down. I know y'all don't shoot a ton of bands, uh, but. Some of the bands you have killed in the past, where did those birds originate? Quebec. Quebec. A 90% Saint Lawrence, The Bay of St. Lawrence, heading up that St. Lawrence River. Yep. Yes, sir. That part of the Arctic. Yep. Um, what, this morning, uh, as we got out there, your, your scout who joined us talked about seeing some white geese. And yesterday I met with a young man, Wes, uh, also a local guy, talking about just, I think he's 30 years old, and he was saying just in his hunting career, more and more white geese, the greater snow geese, are starting to spill over from Quebec. Uh, it's uh, You could say spilling over is an understatement. I started hunting this flyway. I started guiding professionally in this flyway. This is the 16th season. Um, 16, 10 years ago even, when you saw snow geese in this part of Ontario, um, we were on the phone. We were calling people. 
I guess what I just saw. We he got said to, the same thing. We, we got to figure out what roost they're on. We're going after these things. There's snow geese in town. And that was a big deal um, every year for the last, I'm going to say, 10, maybe even 12 years. Few more, few more, few more. And now it's full. By the middle of November, we'll have 500,000 snows in town. And what they really do, what I've noticed the most from them showing up, we never used to lose Canada's until the St. Lawrence River froze solid all the way across. You could skate across her, and that's when we would lose our Canada's. Now we lose our Canada's before freeze-up because these snows have moved over so far when they show up to town. A, we know that we're done getting our Canada's. The snows are the last of the migration to come through. Oh, that's interesting. Um, on top of that, they will follow the big gatherings of Canada's. They'll go to the big feeds of, of Canada's in the field. They will get in on them, and they'll push the Canada's out. Yeah. And they do not commingle here whatsoever. And those big greater snows will push the Canada's right out of town. And we're probably, in the last three to five years, we're noticing that we're losing our Canada's probably three weeks earlier than we ever ever used to in the past because those snows are moving over that's around mid-november end of november first first week of december what's the weather like at time of year it can be variable um you you, we're usually getting into our winter there's snow on the ground it's cold um all the little gravel quarries and stuff like that the smaller rivers are frozen up it's all the big stuff that's left um which used to hold the canadas and then the snows moved to those roofs and the canadas bounce they don't stick around hmm at all so you know uh for those those of y'all listening we're talking greater snow geese primarily and uh there They're, is a distinction all these snow geese we're getting down the mississippi and central flyways uh ross geese lesser snow geese uh these birds are i'd say a, a big gander could be 30 percent again their size they're, they're big and, and i know uh, in the past we have hunted them on the St. Lawrence River in Quebec, at one time the population was shot down to about 3,000 uh, up around an area called Cap Torment, which was uh, established way back when as a as a, a outpost to feed the city of Quebec, which was the first establishment in North American North America. And uh, and they they love geese. You know, remember we got a lot of French origin. They love geese, and they shot them practically into extinction. And the federal government set up this this refuge. And I think if I'm right, they've since built back to nearly a thousand a million a million oh, some odd bird their, oh, their yeah. population doing the same thing the rest of the snow geese they're are. out of control out, they're, out of control they're out of control and they are a very aggressive bird when it yeah. comes to feeding like we all know that snow geese are aggressive feeders as it is but these graders are on a level of their own now what was so crazy about this morning we got in there we shooting time came and went the birds were still roosting saw a few ducks said, well let's get in the blind just in case we were waiting on those geese to come back, and uh, it was quiet, still, you know, windless. And I did not hear the snow geese at all. No, I just heard, you know, and I, I really didn't expect them to, you know, find a needle in a haystack. There's only six of them coming, but somebody said, "Here, there's those geese." And it was the first customers of the day were these six white geese coming right in, and it's crazy how there were four shooters in the blind, and. We all saw something different. I knew I had killed a Ross goose. And, no, and, and Ryan yeah. was like, no, we don't get Ross geese here. And and, and uh, somebody else said, why? No, 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 those, those are graders. I definitely shot a grader. And somebody said, well, it looked like a snow goose to me. And by the time the dog gets back, we got all three. Yeah, we did well, have how all How odd three. is that? That's, that's very odd. Uh, if we get Ross geese around here, I am yet to see one. That's, that's probably one of my first Ross to see in this flyway. Really? Yeah, personally. And I've been, like I said, been guiding professionally here for 16 years. So wow. That's a, that's, I would probably say that was a first for me in this flyway. Well, that's good. I feel good. Maybe we'll get a speckle belly in the morning. Yeah, that'd be something. Yeah. <laughs> we might as well keep it going. Yeah. Let's keep the street going. Look, I'll take just going back and shooting those Canada geese exactly like we did today. Ryan, I know that you work also professionally out in Saskatchewan. How would, how would you compare uh, or describe hunting here, which is primarily the big birds, versus setups and hunting styles and techniques or whatever strategies out in Saskatchewan. What would you... Yeah, um, it's hard to compare them because it is night and day. It's two different beasts. Um, one thing that I've 
probably learned the most about being a professional guide and being lucky to hunt all across Canada and into the U.S. is uh, that just because you can kill a bird in one spot doesn't mean you can kill a bird everywhere you go to hunt those exact same animals. Uh, they act different. They're everything. Saskatchewan, you've got a mixed bag. I mean, you've got snows every day you're going to see. You're shooting lessers. You'll get into the big geese. Um, but those are your residents. They fly different. Right. They, they yeah. roost closer to where they feed. They don't roost two miles away like lessers do. They don't fly at the height that lessers do. So, you know, you have to be a little more picky on, you have to be more particular on your scouting to know what you're going into the field after. These guys here, you're going to hunt them your conventional big Canada way. Nice big pocket, give them a runway. Hope you got some wind at your back or the side. You can channel them. And most of the time, they'll play by the book and do it where saskatchewan is more boils down to your scouting because you've got to know whether you've got your lessers or your specs or your big boys in the field really. well windless day is, is usually the kiss of death and yesterday we didn't have much wind and the wind what, what two mile an hour wind we had was come from the opposite direction of what they had forecast but hey you know those birds uh at their own peril got close enough to those decoys they died yep and today we showed up and it wasn't any wind i, I would say at all and uh, but boy, we're, we I, I guess just being exactly where the birds want to be trumps everything. Cause we were really exactly does. where they wanted to be. There was no question. Like on that. every big Canada goose in the universe wanted to be right there, twenty yards in front of that blind. Yeah, a typical day here. I usually like to explain it to guys is if you want to if you want to sit there and see what it feels like to be attacked by Canada geese. That's what you, you said you, this you've morning. Pretty much come to the right spot. Yeah, I, I thought yesterday was a great <laughs> hunt because I, I love to shoot there. You know, I love all of these birds, all the species in their own right. But I've just, I've just the older I've gotten, I realized I really do like big Canada geese, big migrator Canada. You know, back home we're yeah. hunting uh, park ducks or uh, park geese, I should say. You know, that fly off a country club and might come in, or and if they do come in, I'll come in at one time to get one volley. But but boy, to hunt these big daddies is just something else. I, I just I can't get enough of it. It's the best kept secret. I tell everybody that I've that I've hunted here. Um, I tell people that I talk to at trade shows and everything. It's it's the best kept secret. Our limit's only five. You're not going to shoot, you know, eight ducks at the same time like out west. You can't compare it to the west. It's a totally different ball game. But it's something that needs to be experienced in my mind because oh, because yeah. just the scenery alone of it is it's the best it's the best kept secret it's, absolutely it's something to see you know uh what what i've learned in 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 that i find so interesting about you personally is uh you, you run a top top notch outfit right here and i'm gonna tell you it, it everything uh from the food the lodging the organization the trader's equipment that, that's all that's all great but uh you're a skillful caller which uh, I used to tell people, but and maybe I just hunt with the wrong folks. I, I mean, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I would just hunt with the wrong folks in Canada because I would tell people two things. They don't know how to call. Yeah. They just got a whole lot of birds. And, and just remember, guys, we don't go to Canada to eat. We go to shoot geese because we're from the south and we know how to cook. But the food up here is amazing. And, uh, but let me, ask you, let me ask you, what is your calling background? Because that's, that's, what, uh, that's what really kind of caught my interest as we started talking last year. What is your calling background yeah um i'm a little bit of a perfectionist so when i got into waterfowl hunting when i was 14 15 years old um i got myself you know a cheap goose call and instead of locking myself in a room with a guitar learning how to play it like every other teenager i locked myself in my room and learned how to blow a goose call because um, i wanted to be able to do everything that could be done on a goose call so that's my musical instrument um, I will go out on a limb and, and say that I perfected it. I'm quite confident in my calling ability to the point where I started, uh, I was lucky, very lucky that I was around some very good, um, some very good callers in my early guiding years. So I had good assistance to, and direction to be able to expand on my already honed skills. Um, and then for the longest time, I pretty much wanted to create my own call to just say that I killed a limit of geese with something that I had created. And that was the goal. Fast forward. Take it to a whole personal level when you start making yeah. a call from scratch that you've never done just to interact with a wild bird and hunt him. That, that, that's really... Uh, yeah. I wanted to take, take it to the next... new level. That's exactly it. I wanted to take it to the next level and check that box. Fast forward, uh, you probably skip a couple of details. 
Next thing you know, me and a buddy are starting a waterfowl call company. Yeah, of course. Um, we launch it in Canada. We're lucky enough to get into Canada's largest. What year would that have been? 2013. We launched it. Um, we were nine months old, and we got ourselves into Canadian Tire, which is Canada's... Kind of a big deal. Okay, kind of a big deal. There's never been a Canadian-made call company that's gone mainstream before. Um, we wanted to do it at a mainstream level. We wanted to make everything right here in Canada, because that wasn't being so done. So what, what would they have sold in Canadian Tire in the past? It, it, what kind of duck call? I mean... American-made? American-made, Primos, um, Nightingale, Flambeau, Duck Commander. Great calls, but all-American all American made. Yeah. Um, so... So we... Uh, um, we basically wanted to do something that hadn't been done before. Um, we kept going with it, and um, we were lucky enough to get into the box stores to the point where we had achieved being Canada's largest call manufacturer. Um, from there, we've come out with different, different calls each year. We've grown. Um, we've won Canadian championship titles um, with those calls. We were the first canadian made duck call to make it to the worlds in arkansas three years in a row really one of those years actually made it to the second round which really so we made a main street call that had that ain't too bad for a canadian boy now not too bad at all <laughs> not too bad at all so you, you, just, you just didn't prefer you didn't perfect that southern accent they were listening for the judge were listening for uh, we, we're not big enough boys up here we don't have the lungs right <laughs> <laughs> you get down to that world stage and there's some big boys down there yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah, or or deaf ducks. So, yeah, a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So I mean, Canadian waterfowl. That Canadian Ca- the name capital of the capital waterfowl. Capital waterfowl. Yeah, that, that's that's just to me. That's just an amazing story. Yeah, yeah I, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's because I, I've been through some of these. Uh, I've been to some of these tire stores, some of these different places. I love I love to go into sporting goods stores and things when I'm up in Canada or different countries. And I've, yeah. I've uh, I just always noted there there was just a big absence of Canadian waterfowl called. You know, and back back in the day for so long, and now it's different. You, you, it, the outfitters today, uh, you find some good ones, but you know, to me, getting started in this industry, coming to Canada back in the day, hunting with a Canadian guide that had a big long flute that could call about like me. Yeah, I mean, just just make the two the two wit call. Yeah, but there's enough big dumb birds to come in. You yeah, know, it didn't matter. But but now you got to step up your game and play. You do. There's a lot of really good waterfowlers in this country that are from this country. Um, lucky enough for the sport and for the conservation end of things, um, there's a lot of people getting into waterfowling. It's a great gateway to get youth into it, which we all know as being duck hunters. You know, if you, you get a youth into waterfowl hunting, they can be active, they can talk, they don't have to sit there and be quiet and all this kind of stuff. You can keep them warm, and they it's a great introduction. You pull the trigger a fair amount, even if you're not that experienced. Um, and that is really starting to show tenfold because there's more competition as a waterfowler mm-hmm. in our country, in our area. Um and you know, that's really so, kind of a good thing though it is some people might frown upon it but i look at it as a good thing because we need the youth to be into the sport or we're dead on our feet really it is uh, what what is it uh what is it like to grow up in canada as a waterfowl hunter you get you know what i'm saying i mean is it is it a, is it a yeah. big cultural thing yeah uh i don't think it's as big of a cultural thing it wasn't, I should say, as big of a cultural thing when I was growing up. I think it's becoming more of a cultural thing. Um, lots of guys always, you know, deer camp. Well, I'm going to deer camp for two weeks. That's my hunting. You know, I'll feed the pond for the month of August, and I'll shoot ducks with the buddies on opening day, and it's more of a party the night before. And there I duck hunted. And now it seems to be more more guys wanting to do it the right way and learn about it and be educated about it and you know credit it to or discredit it to the social media abilities of of people wanting to be communicate and getting people excited about it exactly and getting them passionate speaking of which i know that you're also a board member of wildlife habitat 
Canada. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Which, I is, am. which is which very, is war, very fortunate. To which, me. Which, which which is uh, it, it's not a government agency. No, we work with we work with the we work with the government. Um, we collect. It's a private. It, it, it's it's first explain what it, it's a it's a private. It's a private entity. A private entity that yep. that. Manages or, or actually puts conservation dollars on the ground we, via. Uh, we are a grant administration. A grant board. administration. Okay. And what we do is we take uh, proceeds from the migratory bird stamp. We decide what the migratory bird stamp is going to be each year. We take care of that. Um, we take proceeds from the migratory bird stamp, and it all goes back into wildlife habitat conservation how many board how many people are on in that are you a board member yep i'm I'm a board member there's 10 there's 10 of us that are board members we have a we have a director Um, we have a small office staff that runs everything from social media communications to networking communications right down to meeting with the government um you know, but Chef Andrew here the, runs runs the social media, right? He is. He's, or, he's, he's, he's the PR guy. Yep, but the, the chef at the lodge is the communication. So Wildlife Habitat Canada it, it is comprised of ten people, ten board members, and I think we're up to five or six everyday staff. Okay, and 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 uh, and okay, man, it, this is this is just uh, mind blowing. We're the, we're the voice for duck hunters, and I'll tell you a little backstory. How, if, how many if you how don't many mind me how rambling. many of those fifteen people are actually hunters? It's it's increasing from what it used to be, which is why our brand is growing, why we're starting to be more involved and be seen as something, which I'll back to in a second if I can. Um, but to answer your question, I believe there is one, two, three, four, five of us that are very passionate, dedicated, everyday hunters on the board. Mm-hmm. Would what would you say... Because they must be interested in conservation. How would you describe the other board members? Um, if not hunters, surely they're not anti-hunters. No, um, it's comprised of biologists that have made a career. Uh, it's a very diverse board because it's everything from outfitters like myself um, to passionate hunters uh, to biologists that are strictly biologists and look at it from a biologist point of view alone. And then there's biologists that have made a career at Ducks Unlimited, Delta Waterfowl, that are biologists, conservationists, and hunters alike. Wow. So it's it's a very diverse board, which really helps us because we can get into a conversation. And if three people aren't able to comment on it, well, there's seven other ones that so you So there, there's a lot. I mean, that, that's what I'm trying to describe. Is there's a lot of stakeholder interest, whether you hunt or not. Big time. Stakeholder, <laughs> but, but at least half of them are actual hunters. Oh, yes. And what would be an example? Uh, y'all, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about the Federal Waterfowl Stamp for Canada. Yes, sir. And what, what would be an example of some of the grants y'all have written or putting habitat on the ground? Uh, Ducks Unlimited, Delta Waterfowl. Um, university research grants that strictly go right to is there one that come to mind on a research grant or, or with a university one just one general top Canada geese making making uh, Canada geese for sure um, test crops in BC on the grounds that uh, that snow goose migration on, oh. on test plots for protection that was a university grant that did very well um, basically built into crop protection um yeah uh, stuff crop depredation type stuff exactly yeah so i mean that's gone that's university stuff that's gone there um it's we we get lots and lots of grants and unfortunately enough we have to say no to many of them because we're tapped out on the money because there's so many great options need more money all right i heard i heard uh some pretty you know to me a very interesting topic buzzing around that uh, person or persons in Canada had proposed new reform to uh, migratory bird rules uh, regarding possession, regarding transportation. Uh, some of the some of the stuff uh, that we, we've listened to in the line podcast topics before. Some some of the uh, cumbersome. Or maybe antiquated rules with regard to how we as hunters uh, 
transport and handle and store and dispose and move our birds uh what what were, were y'all involved with that we were we were firsthand involved in that our board of directors was firsthand involved in putting the proposal and all of the proposed notes together for so that, there, there, that, that that and so so those proposed changes uh, I, I, I and one, one I read this proposal online, and I and I it just really uh, struck a chord with me because the whole argument about it had to do with re- retaining hunters, recruiting hunters, making it easier for youth hunters to come into it, and then for all hunters, making it easy to facilitate consumption of those birds eating those birds because you know in, in my definition of conservation it's called wise use use meaning consumption and um and wow that that just, that just to me blows my mind that that and and, and, it, and it's coming from biologists and and uh ngo people and government people that hunt and some that don't you and, know and and some and, and some that don't indeed we have we have a bird watcher the, on on the on the board, so I mean he has invested interest in wetland protection to be able to be a bird watcher. So all of these great changes are coming from anywhere, like you said, from you know biologists to an outfitter to bird watchers that all feel like those laws that we had were outdated and handcuffed new hunters uh, as well as hunters that make a living from it like myself so yeah or, or guys like me that travel up to canada exactly it, it you know it, it's like uh it, it, it just makes it maybe unnecessarily cumbersome i understand that we should not go to the local restaurants or the black market and sell these birds they're, they're a wild public trust they are well there's a rule against that so what's the point yep but why make it so hard for us to be able to transport them to consume them? Exactly. And that's what these laws have. Man, that's fantastic. That's what we're heading towards. Uh, could, could you just bullet point some of the ones? Uh, I kind of hee-hawed around about it, but could you bullet point or articulate better than me, just bullet point some of the points that this proposed legislation is? Some of the main ones would be uh, transportation. Um, tagging requirements. To transportation, tagging requirements. Um, those are all changing. Um, possession limit for the birds and what is counted on your possession and what isn't counted on your possession once that bird hits your freezer compared to what it used to be um, allowing you to have more in the freezer to be able to consume Uh, big changes with that coming those are those are your your big ones that are going to affect every waterfowl hunter in canada and those who travel here to hunt i I noticed when i was reading uh, this proposal online that 2013-14, uh, some of the think tank had been thinking about and talking about some of the stuff, and that at some point in time they had reached out even to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, who's a partner in Migratory Bird Treaty Act, and others. Do you have a, a guess of what their reaction would be to any changes along these lines, or how they might cooperate, or how customs would cooperate? Right now, I know customs not cooperating at all. Um, yeah, I know that. Figure. I know that our relationship. Um, with U.S. Fish and Wildlife um, for this topic is only getting stronger. Um, I wouldn't be able to take a guess at how many years or what it would take for everybody to kind of get on the same page, but I do know that our relationship with them is grown exponentially and getting closer. Yeah, well, it's important because because waterfowl are neither ours nor yours. It's a continental resource. It is. You know, and, and Mexico uh, is, is a part of the Migratory Bird Treaty Act Convention, and, and even Russia. Yep. You know, because those birds are trade across right there. Uh, guys, all y'all listening, uh, we're going to end right here, but the next time I meet with Ryan Reynolds, we are going to pull in a panel of some of these NGOs and government um, people from the board, and we're going to discuss these proposed changes that may even have taken effect by the time we have this convention i promise you on the heels of listening to the foley's and warden podcast you will definitely want to hear some of these changes coming down the pipe here in canada thank y'all for listening this is ramsey russell get ducks you can check out uh check out these great stories uh at ramsey russell get ducks on instagram thank y'all